Well, praise the Lord. Thank you so much for having us here tonight. Numbers don't bother me. Billy Bray used to say that, he said, whenever I preach, he said, five people are always present. Me in the pulpit, Father, Son and Holy Spirit and the devil outside. <laughs> so, so I don't have a problem on, on numbers. <laughs> And uh, actually, uh, when we meet together, uh, the, um, a lot of people don't realise who is present. It isn't just the Holy Spirit, but Hebrews 12.23 says, You are come unto Mount Zion, unto an innumerable company of angels. And I often tell our folk in Reading, you know, when we meet together, the angels are present. They are the invisible guests. And we wouldn't want to do anything that would embarrass angels and drive them away. Amen. Um, there's a lot about angels in the world, not speaking about that tonight, but, uh, but angels are present. And um, angels, Hebrews 1.14, are ministering spirits who minister unto those who are the heirs of salvation. We don't worship angels, but we acknowledge their presence. Amen. And um, so, blessing tonight. Lovely to see Winnie. We, I can't remember when we last saw, but Len and Winnie, the, I think the first time we ever went to Israel in about 1989, you were on that trip, weren't you, with Mervyn Tilly? I think you were. Yes, you were. The first time we went, Winnie was there with her husband. What a blessing to see her here tonight. We just sent cards at Christmas, that's all. I haven't seen you for years, so it's lovely to see you. We had great fun on that tour. Because your husband loved humour, and I love humour. So it's, it's great. And um, I, I've just programmed that you live at Rushmore Lane, isn't it, Fleet? Close. Close, Rushmore. I know there's a Rushmore in it. Is it 15 or 23? Yeah. Which one, what's your number? Door number. 15 or 23? I'm not sure. But it's programmed into me. Anyway, um, okay. Um, just mentioning uh, before we get started, uh, the um, retired vicar, we had a um, Norwegian preacher once at our church. If you know Norwegian people, they, they cannot sound uh, uh, their V's. They cannot pronounce V's. So this man said two things in our church. He said, I feel very sorry for you English people. You have lots of problems with your wickers. <laughs> well, a wicker is witchcraft. And he couldn't say it. <laughs> And then he read from um, Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. And he said, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. And the Spirit of God was hoovering across the face of the earth. <laughs> so, uh, and he really didn't realise what he was saying, this man. But uh, it was just a slip of the tongue. So, um, anyway... Uh, if anyone is interested, we've got a tour to Israel, October 20th. You could just get on it if you're really quick and book yesterday. <laughs> but uh, we're going to Petra. Um, so that's, that'll be our what, 14th trip, is it? I think 14th trip, something like that. Okay. So let's. Uh, if you have a Bible, please take a Bible. I was going to show some acetates, but we'll have, we can get round that. Um, we're not dependent on acetates, we're dependent on the Holy Spirit. Um, and he can show us the things that we uh, need to know. Now, Tom said, what are you going to speak about? And I was just meditating on this. Actually, I felt in the middle of the night, actually, if some days ago, the Lord said, give you an introduction to the book of Revelation. 
and uh, uh, the, it's an amazing book. So that's really what I want to do. I, I can take you to a certain point tonight and then you will have to go beyond that point uh, for yourself and I'll just give you some keys. Uh, we'll open up some uh, doorways uh, into this um, wonderful book of Revelation. Father, we submit ourselves to you tonight. We pray that you'll open our eyes that we might behold wondrous things out of your law. Lord, open our eyes to see. May the Holy Spirit lead and guide us into all truth. And Lord, we don't want to hear a man or a person. We want to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. So we ask you, Father, that you'll teach us and be our teacher tonight, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, let's go then to Revelation uh, chapter 1. Revelation uh, chapter 1. And um, a lot of people think that the, uh, the book of Revelation is a, is a kind of mysterious book that no one can actually understand. Uh, many people uh, avoid it. Uh, but, but I believe that's the enemy. The book of Revelation has got so many things in it that are important. And um, if I could just start off with a couple of things which are important about this book, and I'm going to just take you through the first chapter, making allusion to... Um, who's ever heard that comment? Uh, the book of Revelation, we never touch it because we can't understand it. Okay, well let me just put that one to bed first of all. And in Revelation uh, chapter 1, as Thomas already said, uh, it's uh, to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. Uh, you've all heard of the Beatitudes, where there's a lovely one in, in verse 3. Blessed is he that never bothers to read this book, and never opens it, and never listens to anyone preach on it. No, sir. Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. So there are three cases blessed here. Those who read the book of Revelation. Number two, those who hear it. And number three, those who keep the things that are written therein. Uh, someone said once that the Bible is so simple that we need a preacher to help us misunderstand it. And that's often the case, isn't it? But there are keys that will help us uh, with the book of Revelation. And then if I can take you to the end of the book of Revelation, uh, just to show you something else, uh, because this was the, um, uh, the last book of the uh, New Testament canon. Uh, this completed it all. And the book of Revelation consummates all the seeds that are sown in the book of Genesis. If we had time, we could contrast. I could give you 40, 50 contrasts. Things which start in Genesis, finish in the book of Revelation. And um, in Revelation chapter 22 and verses 18 and 19, there's something very important there. For I testify unto every man that hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If we never hear it, then how can the verse apply to us? We are supposed to read it and to hear it. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things 
which are written in this book. The book of Revelation contains every major teaching in the Christian faith. They are all there. And the Lord said that if you add anything to it, there's a warning here, and also if you take away from it. So when we come to major Christian teachings and doctrines, a lot of people take away from things. Well, the word of God here says that God will take away his part out of the book of life. You say, well, how can I add to what is written in this book? Very, very simple. Um, if Jesus Christ died once uh, and his once-for-all offering was efficacious, uh, then something like the Mass, for example, where he is offered again and again and again, is adding to what's written in the book. Does that make sense? And um, hopefully I can show you um, some of the ways in which um, church history opens up uh, through this book. Um, the word revelation means apocalypsis, an unveiling. It's uh, opening something. It's an uncovering or revealing of hidden things. Do you remember Jesus said, Unto you it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. And so this is something that God wants to unfold and open to us. The author of this book is his servant John. Chapter 1, verse 1, verse 4, John to the seven churches. And then chapter 22 and verse 8, uh, just in case you've got problems on this. I, John, saw these things and heard them. This is right in the very last chapter. Um, two or three years ago, we took a tour uh, to the um, Aegean Sea, a cruise, and we went round a few of the seven churches and we looked at some of the journeys of the Apostle Paul. And we took a trip to the island of Patmos. It's a beautiful little island. Were you on that trip? You didn't come. And um, we were taken to a, a cave or a grotto. And we had a... Um, what, what was his... What, Greek Orthodox guide, um, and he was very, very good actually. And as we looked in the cave, he said, that is the place where we believe that John was given the, the book of Revelation, possibly used an amanuensis to write it down, which is quite reasonable. And uh, it was all simplistic, which this guide told us. And um, we had been asked to join with a Methodist group. And uh, unbeknown to us, before we got there, the I know it's recording, well, I'll be careful what I say, the Methodist minister was very liberal. And he interrupted the guide and he said, I think you ought to take all that that man is a lot of what that man is saying with a pinch of salt. Isn't that amazing? And all he said was, John wrote the book of Revelation, he wrote it in a cave, it was on the island of Patmos. Um, I didn't have to do a thing because most of the uh, people on my tour jumped up and shut it down quickly. So it was written by John, who was the beloved disciple, and it was written during the reign of an emperor called Domitian, uh, who lived from 81 to 96 AD, and this was in the later part, and this was a time of persecution. And interestingly, John was the only one of the twelve apostles who never laid down his life. I'm sure you realise that. In fact, they boiled him in oil on one occasion and he survived. 
so tradition tells us. And so he finds himself um, on uh, Patmos. It's a time of persecution. One of the things that we need to know about the book of Revelation, to understand it, is that uh, it is a book of symbols. There are a lot of symbols in it. And in order to understand the symbols, we have to be students, really, of the Old Testament. We need to know the Old Testament, because a lot of the symbols are um, interpreted uh, from the Old. I'm sure you know that little phrase, the... The new is in the old concealed, the old is in the new revealed. So you have to know uh, the symbols. And so real Christians are people of the whole book and not half of it. We're Old Testament as well as new. And in fact, uh, a lot of things that are happening in the Middle East today are fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Never been completed yet. Okay. What are some of the ways, I'll just open this up to you a little bit, what are some of the ways in which uh, people interpret the uh, book of Revelation? might be helpful to understand that. Some people think that it's just symbolic of a continuing struggle between good and evil. And they say that the symbols cannot be identified with historical events. Everything's figurative or metaphorical, and refers solely to spiritual conflict and physical experience. Um, that kind of view is held by a, 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 a lot of people who we called amillennialists. I don't know whether you'll understand these terms, but um, in Revelation chapter 20, there's a period which is mentioned six times, and it's a thousand-year period. And they spiritualize that. They say it's not literal. I find that very strange, because... Um, all the things in the book of Revelation are in time sequence. They follow one after another. And so if all the rest is time sequence, why would you suddenly spiritualize Revelation 20 and make it mean a different thing to the rest of the time sequence, the uh, contemporaneity of the, of the book? And they say that Revelation 20 um, is actually a picture of the church age. They take it back in time. Uh, I find that strange because in Revelation 20, Satan is bound for a thousand years. And there are, I think, about six verbs that are very powerful verbs which show that he is unable to operate. If that's the church age, I find that very strange because I'd like to know who's doing Satan's work in the church age. Anyway, um, post-millennialism and that kind of thinking leads ultimately to a teaching which is called Kingdom Now teaching or Dominion Theology. Uh, and, and the essence of that is that somehow the church takes over the world and then Jesus comes back and we hand it to him on a plate. The Bible doesn't teach that. And then the preterist view, which is uh, the symbolism refers only to the day in which it was written. Uh, but neither Nero nor Domitian could have been the Antichrist. <laughs> so it couldn't refer to, couldn't be that. And then there's the historical view that holds that it outlines in symbolic form the complete history of the church from Pentecost to the coming of Christ. Now, there may be part truth in that, particularly in the seven churches of Revelation, but, but in my simple understanding, most of Revelation is actually future. It comes at the end of the age. 
And um, if you were to go through the chapters in, in Revelation 1, uh, you can just get a little key here. Uh, if I can just find this. Um, verse 19. This is one of the keys. And he says, write the things which you have seen. John sees something. He sees it on Patmos. <clears throat> I often say to people, you may say, I'm alone, I'm persecuted, I'm cut off from everybody. Did it ever cross your mind that when that happened to John, he got one of the greatest revelations that any human being has ever had of eternal things and of heaven? So if you can get that when you're alone and under persecution and on an island, persecuted for the Lord, well then surely each one of us, if we're by ourselves, can get something from God. That's a little lesson. So write the things which you have seen. And in chapter 1, uh, the things which he has seen, as we're going to see, he has a vision of Jesus Christ, the head of the church. And Jesus Christ is the head of his church. He is head over all things, Ephesians 1.22, to the church which is his body. So he gets this fantastic vision of Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's an amazing vision. I want to try and open that up to you. And then he says the things um, which the things which are. So then he gets a picture of seven churches in Asia Minor. I'll go on to those in a moment. So the things that you have seen, the things which are, and then he is given a vision of the things which shall be hereafter. Isn't that amazing? So the things which shall be hereafter. You've got Revelation 1, which is a vision of the Lord Jesus Christ in all his glory. It's an amazing picture. Revelation 2 and 3, we have seven churches. And I'll give you my thoughts on how we can learn from those. Revelation 4 and 5 is a picture of the throne of God. And that's lovely to get a picture of the throne of God. The book of Revelation... It's not a picture of just the Antichrist, it's a picture of the throne of God. And God rules and reigns, the Lamb of God. Uh, and that helps us to be positive. And so the whole of Revelation interacts between heaven and earth, and heaven and earth. And you have to know which chapters uh, apply to which. And then from uh, Revelation uh, chapter 6, this is my own personal view is that we see the climax of history. From Revelation 6 through to Revelation 18, we probably see uh, what is called from Daniel 9, Daniel's 70th week. And there's a final seven years of history that hasn't taken place yet. Uh, and Revelation opens up um, all of those chapters. Um, we see seven trumpets. Everything sevens in the book of Revelation. Why? Because seven's the number of perfection and completion. So you have seven churches. You have seven trumpets. Um, you, uh, you have seven bowls of wrath. We could go through all the different sevens. There's actually seven places where it says blessed. Seven beatitudes. So all kinds of things are seven there. Seven things that are going to be no more. Uh, seven, a full description of the Lamb. Um, seven things about the, the Lamb. There's sevens everywhere through the book. Seven is the number of completion. And uh, once you get to seven, as you know, you finish seven days, complete your week, and then you start another week. 
One of the interesting things is that the, uh, the name of Jesus, um, in Hebrew and Greek, every letter has a numerical value. So in, in Greek, alpha would equal one, beta would equal two, gamma would equal three. Uh, you probably heard a lot of people talk about 666, the mark of the beast. Well, Jesus, in Hebrew, is 888. Eight's the number of resurrection, one more than seven. Eight souls in the ark, wasn't it? Eight is the number of resurrection. So Jesus is perfect resurrection. Okay, and then in as we go through, we see the trumpet judgments, which affect a... Uh, um, a quarter of the earth and then the bowls of wrath which affect a third and then in Revelation chapters 17 and 18 uh, this is just I'm just trying to whet your appetite so you'll study it in Revelation 17 and 18 we have something called Babylon we have religious Babylon which is a religious system and then we have uh, economic Babylon um, in that order and one of the interesting things is that economic Babylon is destroyed in, do you know what period of time? Very simple, one hour, which is the same time it took for the Twin Towers to come down. And so those are little forerunners. And then in Revelation 17, uh, we have a, a, a political system, seven heads and ten horns. I think in some way that's a kind of reconstructed Roman Empire in the last days. And we find a religious system within that. It's called um, a, a, a scarlet woman. And this might interest you because the second election European Parliament stamp is a scarlet, is a woman riding a beast. Isn't that interesting? So there it is. That's one of our own stamps. And that's Revelation chapter 17 and 18, a woman riding a beast. And inter incidentally, the um, European headquarters is based on Bruegel's painting, which is what? Anyone know? The Tower of Babel. And Babel or Babylon means confusion. And everything today is confusion. Would you agree with that? Confusion in the church. Confusion what is of God and what isn't. Dare I say it, confusion of roles. Uh, men and women. God created men and women distinct, uh, but to be complementary. And everything is confusion. And God is not the author of confusion, but of peace among the churches. So anything that causes confusion does not come uh, from God. So, um, uh, so a lot of this is future, things which must take place hereafter. So that's a, a kind of picture. And the, the, the amazing thing about the book of Revelation is so many of the things there that complete those final seven years of history, we are already seeing in embryo form now. It is possible to communicate by computer. Uh, we have marks. We have uh, um, all these kind of systems, already implants in animals, human beings. And it would not be difficult with the wrong person in charge, all your emails and telephone calls already monitored at the moment, probably because of Islam. And um, it's quite possible now for a one world system to come into place. Okay, so I, I believe the first three chapters of the book of Revelation apply either to the day in which they were written. In other words, those seven churches um, 
applied to seven actual literal churches. They're representative churches. God took seven churches, which could represent any church in Christendom, and he sent messages to them. Okay? So my church may be defined in one of those seven churches. I, I just hope it's the right one. <laughs> I, I just hope it, ours isn't Laodicean. And then um, those seven churches can apply to any church. And then uh, these seven churches, if you actually examine them carefully uh, and look at them and all the characteristics, they give you a prophetic outline of the history of the church right from the early church right the way through to the end of the age. It's really quite remarkable. Um, now, one interesting thing is this. I don't know whether I can show you this. I'll try. Um, I don't know whether you can see this. I'll just That there is three prophetic chapters, and you can follow these up for yourself. Um, on the left-hand side is Daniel's image. You heard of Daniel, the prophet Daniel. Jesus believed Daniel was literal. Nothing make-believe about Daniel. And, and Daniel had a picture of the whole of Gentile history right through to the end, with seven heads and ten horns, which is mentioned in Revelation. In fact, the Apostle John actually amplifies or augments everything that Daniel taught and completes the story. So there's Daniel's image there. And those are all the world powers and then you'll notice there, Mystery Babylon the Great. Mystery Babylon the Great is a kind of religious system that came after the Roman emperors, and I believe it's actually personified by the Roman Catholic Church. That's my own view. Then, if you take the seven churches there, Ephesus, I think you're you studying Ephesians here, Tom? Did you tell me you were studying Ephesians? Not yet, but that's the ideal church. Ephesians is the highest revelation of the church. The church at Ephesus is the, is the kind of the early church. And if you take those seven churches right the way through, you can run them in parallel to everything there. And then something else I discovered. In Matthew 13, how many parables of the kingdom are there? Very simple, there's seven. And they start with the sower and they go right the way through and then tares come in and you can match all those seven parables of the kingdom to the historical outworking of the church through the church age and they match in an amazing way. And so when we get to the leaven there, the fourth one, Thyatira, who was the problem in Thyatira? You suffer that woman Jezebel who says she's a prophetess. That's not only real in churches, there's a lot of Jezebels about, but I believe it typifies the introduction of uh, the, the Roman Catholic Church. That's my personal view. And in actual fact, uh, if you go through the... Does that make sense to you? You can follow this up and, and it's an interesting study. Um, if you follow through the book of Revelation, you'll find that there are certain women that are mentioned in the book, by the way. Uh, there's the, the, the Harlot Church, Revelation 18. There's a sun-clothed woman. Who's the sun-clothed woman? I believe it's Israel. Um, and then there's Jezebel there. Uh, and then there's Babylon. And then there's the Bride of Christ in Revelation 19. 
So once you get beyond 18, then the picture goes back to heaven and you've got a wonderful marriage that takes place. It's called the marriage of the Lamb. Revelation 19.7 says the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife, the bride, the church has made herself ready. Isn't that beautiful? So we have these different women. They're very contrasting. And in actual fact, the uh, if you go through the Bible, uh, in the false church, the harlot church, uh, there's something very interesting you find. In her are found all the blood of the prophets and martyrs through the ages. So what's the biggest opposition to true revelation and true religion? It's false religion. Right from the days of Cain and Abel, which which is where it all started. Cain uh, was the first murderer. Abel had the a revelation of how you should approach God and Cain murdered his brother. And those seeds go right through history and they climax in the book of, of Revelation. My own view is that Revelation 4 verse 1 onwards is future aspect, those things which must take place hereafter. And so to me, probably that view of the seven churches plus the future of the book of Revelation is probably the most satisfactory to the facts. So chapter 1 gives you a, a picture of John, the background of, of what he was doing on the island of Patmos. Uh, chapter uh, 2 and 3 give you the uh, seven churches. And let me say this about the seven churches. They were never bigger than a city. Isn't that interesting? Never bigger than a city. To the church at Ephesus, the church at Smyrna, the church at Philadelphia. Why was it never bigger than a city? Very interesting, because a New Testament church was never bigger than a city. It was never named after a man. It was never um, run by a country or a group any bigger than the elders within a city. So, uh, if I can put it this way... To say uh, the the, uh, the Roman Catholic Church universal couldn't be right. Even Church of England really isn't right. Because it's not the Church of England, it's the church in Yately or Camberley, wherever we are here. Yately, isn't it? So that's how big the church. And that, when you see the church in that way, the the the... the Ground of a local church is never bigger uh, than than the locality. A local church exists within a geographical area, no bigger than a city, uh, and, and that church is built on the authority of the Holy Spirit. If you don't have those two things, you don't have a local church. Okay. And then in chapter 4 we have seven seals, seven trumpets, seven vials, which are bowls of wrath. Uh, chapter 20, we have um, the uh, millennial reign of Jesus Christ, which is a thousand year reign upon the earth where Jesus reigns from where? From Jerusalem. That's why there's conflict. And then at the end of that, Satan is let loose. We have the great white throne, and that is followed uh, by the eternal state, new heavens and a new earth. When I see the way in which we've rubbished the earth on which we live, I'm glad there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. And Peter says that the earth is going to be renovated by fire. That doesn't mean it's going to be replaced, but it's kind of purified by the fire of God. Okay, now let's see uh, about this book. Uh, so, the introduction. Okay, so who wrote the book? 
the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him. So God gave it to Jesus Christ, and then it says to, um, he signified it by his angel unto his servant John. Okay, so God gave it to Jesus, Jesus gave it to the angel, the angel gave it to John. So there's the, 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 the sending order. Uh, and the central theme of this book is not the Antichrist, it's Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. If you, if you go through the whole book, you'll find he is the Lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. And I love that, because that tells me that God's ahead of everything. He's already planned what's going to happen and given his solution before we ever get to the problems. I tell our folk in Reading, in Three Mile Cross, God does not have problems, he has solutions. It's always a step ahead. Always a step ahead. And all of this was planned from eternity. Okay, uh, the central theme or object of this book is to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. The word shortly is the Greek word takos, which means swiftness or speed. Uh, and the thought is these series of events begin very quickly and they finish very quickly as well. When we get to the end, the final seven years of history, things are going to move very quickly. Would you agree things are moving at an amazing pace today? You cannot keep up with it. You just get all your videos and then they change them to DVD and you wonder what's coming next. Uh, so uh, things which must come swiftly come to pass. Okay, so verse 2 is the testimony uh, of John who bore record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. That's the work of a witness. So, so to say we can't understand the book is ridiculous because John saw it, he bore record of it, he testified of it and everything that he saw he set out w within this book here. And... Um, so uh, this is a, a very wonderful picture. Okay, verse 3 is the beatitude of blessing. The beatitude of blessing. Blessed is he that reads. Now, I've read the book of Revelation many times. I'm still reading it. The Lord is still opening it up, uh, still showing me things. I've got a I think a pretty good understanding. I think of how it's all going to work out in rough kind of form, but even then we've still got to be open to the Holy Spirit. Blessed is he that reads. Secondly, and they that hear the words. We were sharing earlier in Tom's house, there's a lot of people who collect sermons. Do you know that? They collect sermons. Well, I've heard all that before, so I don't need it anymore. Or, or it has to have an effect. Jesus said, blessed are they that hear the word of God and do it or keep it. So just because we've heard a message on the seven churches doesn't mean that we, we, we are doing everything. Blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep and keep those things which are written therein. Uh, and uh, you'll find, I think the word keep actually appears how many times in Revelation? I think you'll find it seven. I think there's seven keeps there. Seven times. 
So it's in Revelation 1, 3, chapter 2, verse 26, if you want to make a note. 3, verse 8 and verse 10. 12, verse 17. 14, verse 12. And 22, verse 9. Isn't God amazing? Sevens, all sevens. I'm sure you know the story. Do you know the story of um, Ivan Panin? Does everyone know of Ivan Panin? Ivan Panin was an agnostic. Didn't believe. Uh, And he set to to examine all the original structure and language of the Bible. First of all Hebrew, and then in Greek. And he discovered that because Hebrew and Greek, all the letters have numerical values, that everything, first of all he went through Genesis 1 and he found that it was all multiples of 7. Amazing. You can see it set out. And then he went through the whole of the Bible, all multiples of 7. Then he did it with the Greek, And he found that all the original uh, manuscripts that he looked at were all multiples of seven. And and it says in the the Old Testament that the word of God is purified seven times. And so he saw this, he called it heptatic design. He saw that it was all sevens. And it showed him that there was wonderful design behind this book. Only God could could have done it. It's an amazing thing. In fact, there's design in everything. Um, we could go through nature, through music, through everything. There's fantastic design, e- even in the resonance of musical notes and the gestation period of animals, for example. That th- th- there's there's divine order in all of them. And so he became a believer, and he challenged anyone to disprove what he said, and no one could because it's the word of God, as it's originally given. I believe God superintended it. So. Um, how do we get on to that? Blessed are they that, that keep. Seven times, that's right. So, uh, the, 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 these seven things there. And so, I, I believe seven is one of the marks of God. Amen? You could see this all through the Bible. Isaiah 11, the seven marks of the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Another place, the seven spirits of God before the throne. Holy Spirit is one and yet seven. Uh, the menorah. Have you ever seen a menorah? It's got a central stem, but how many bowls? There's, there's seven, aren't there, with the main one. The Spirit of the Lord, and then the other ones are mentioned in Isaiah 11. The sevenfold Spirit of God. So, what an amazing book this is. Um, all the design that we have. So, there's a beatitude of blessing, and keeps those things which are written therein. Then in verses 4 to 6, verses 4 to 6, I just want to show you one or two things in these verses. Uh, John to the seven churches which are in Asia. Now, the seven churches in Asia, I may have a map here, let's just see if we've got it. But they're not actually Asia, there they are, can you see that? They're Asia Minor, which is where? Turkey. They're in Turkey. So these churches were actual churches that existed. So he had a message to these uh, seven churches. John to the seven churches which are in Asia. And um, he said, grace be unto you and peace. I I love the, um, the message here. Grace be unto you and peace. Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. 
Grace is something that is tangible. Grace is not an excuse for sinning. There's a lot of things, cheap grace today. People say, we're well, a message of grace and you can just do what you like and God's grace will cover it. Not so. But Paul said but, um, uh, that not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Grace is something tangible that you can receive from God. The throne of grace. So grace be unto you and peace. And then notice um, here, there's a sevenfold greeting to the churches here and a threefold exaltation of Jesus Christ. Grace be unto you and peace from him which is, which was, and which is to come. What does that tell me? It tells me that Jesus Christ is God. He was, and he is, and he is to come. I, I love what David Pawson said once. He was, uh, the Lord was talking to him, and uh, he, he, he said that God showed him that the, uh, the, the Lord Jesus, the best way to describe him is always. Always. Isn't that simple? Always was, always is, and always there in the future. And only God could be one which was and is and is, and is uh, to come. So we, we have here, um, we have the Father uh, and from Jesus Christ, uh, and then uh, we, we should see the Holy Spirit here, yes, and from the seven spirits of God which are before the throne. All false cults deny that Jesus Christ is God, by the way. All of them. But Jesus Christ is God. He's the only person who ever existed before he was born. He's, he was uh, named before he was uh, born. Uh, and he's the only person who was ever born who had a say in it. Think about that. So, uh, Jesus Christ, so him which is, was and is to come, the Father, the Holy Spirit in verse 4, Jesus Christ in uh, verse 5, so we have here the deity of Christ, Jesus Christ is God, uh, a denial of the Father and Son relationship by the way is the spirit of Antichrist. 1 John 2 says, and the mosque, the, um, the, the Golden Dome Mosque in Jerusalem says God has no son in Arabic. John's epistle says that that's Antichrist. If you deny the father-son relationship, that's the spirit of Antichrist. So Islam must be the spirit of Antichrist. Okay, and then the, the Holy Spirit is one and yet seven from the seven spirits which are before his throne. Can I just show you that quickly? Because all these things, whenever you see a menorah, think of the sevenfold anointing. Let me take you back to Isaiah 11. And all these verses in Revelation, they just open up so many avenues. You can just push the door into some of the avenues and explore them yourself. So Isaiah chapter 11. And it says here, um, this is the anointing upon the Messiah. It says, the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. So the Holy Spirit is, first of all, who? The Spirit of the Lord. He is God. God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all are God. The Spirit of the Lord. And then the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge, and of the fear of the Lord. So those seven represent the seven spirits of God. So when we talk about anointing, this is what we should happen. 
When there's an anointing of the Holy Spirit, there's wisdom and understanding, counsel and might, knowledge, and perhaps the most important one is the fear of the Lord, which is lacking in so many places today. And so many people speak to me about this anointing and that anointing. If it doesn't embrace those characteristics, then it's not the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you what else it does in verse 3. This is just an aside. That anointing and shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord. Uh, the Hebrew word translated understanding is akin to the word ruach, which means wind or breath or to breathe out an odour. In, in other words, shall make him of quick smell in the fear of the Lord. So when anointing comes, it enables us, if it is true anointing, to smell in the Holy Spirit what is really of God and what isn't. Amen? So important this is. And then it says, He shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears. In other words, uh, you could be a preacher, you could be looking out of a congregation of a hundred people, and you might think that all those hundred, if you were just looking at them, are wonderful angels. <laughs> but if you look in the Holy Spirit, you might see that ten of them might be devils. <laughs> they might not. There might be things in there which are not of God at all. He shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears. So in other words, when that anointing came on Jesus, he could look at people and he knew what was in them. Do you remember Nathaniel? Behold an Israelite in whom there is no guile. How did he know that? Because he knew by the Holy Spirit. And I would suggest to you in these days when grievous wolves shall enter in not sparing the flock that we need to understand the sevenfold anointing of the Holy Spirit to enable us to know what is in the hearts of men and women so that we are not called out. And Some of them are well-known preachers, believe me. We need to be able to discern what is there. Okay, maybe that's enough on that one. So, grace be unto you and peace. Grace is the Greek form. Peace is the Hebrew form. So, charis, shalom. Lovely words, aren't they? Shalom is wholeness. And notice it says here, which are before his throne, verse 4. The seven spirits which are before his throne. And if we have that sevenfold anointing and that really operates within our life, it will enable us to understand what is going on before the throne of God. I want to be in touch with the throne of God. I'm not interested in religion. I'm not interested in men's ideas. I want to be in touch with the throne of God. And, and Jesus Christ is head over all things to the church, which is his body. So he is head over the church. But the Holy Spirit is head, as it were, within the church on earth. The two operate together. Son of God, Spirit of God, Word of God, never ever uh, confuse. They will always be in total agreement. So important in these days. Okay, then centred in uh, Jesus Christ. Let me just mention a few things about the uh, Lord Jesus in the book of Revelation. First of all, he's the Lord of the church in the midst of these seven lampstands. And if we can see as we go through this picture of Jesus, just who Jesus is, 
It will change our whole concept of church life and assembly and worship and when we come together. If we actually can see who it is that walks through the midst of the churches. So he is the Lord of the church in the midst of the seven lampstands. I don't know whether you know that story of the, um, he was a, um, a, a black man in America and he was a lovely, beautiful spiritual brother and he was in a church and he heard from God and moved in the Holy Spirit. Uh, but the minister of that church was a very carnal man and he got fed up with this black man. He didn't like him in the church. And one day he said to him, I don't want you to come to my church anymore uh, because you just stir things. You're just a nuisance. And, and so the black man said, okay, he said, I'll leave and I'll go and ask the Lord what he thinks about this church. So he went away and out of curiosity, some later point, the uh, carnal minister came to him uh, and, and, and asked him what he'd heard from the Lord. And the Lord had said to the, to, to the black man, he said, son, he said, don't you worry about being asked to leave that church because I've been trying to get into it for years and have never been able to. <laughs> so he's the Lord of the church. And I'm sure you know that today many people claim to be prophetic. Do you know that? We've got prophets coming out of our ears. We've got apostle this and apostle that. There's so many chiefs that there, there aren't any Indians left. Uh, and it is. <laughs> and people say, well, this is what the Spirit says. This is what the Holy Spirit's saying. But I would subscribe to you that if you really want to know what the Holy Spirit is saying, then study those seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3, and you'll get a very complete uh, and full picture of what the Holy Spirit would say to the church. Because when you go through the seven churches... It keeps saying, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit, capital S, says to the churches. And someone has rightly said that we need to take much more notice of the prophets from the Mid-East than the ones from the Far West, particularly over the Atlantic. And we've had prophets after prophets, but these messages to the seven churches will tell you what God thinks about his church. Okay, the second picture of Jesus Christ in chapter 5 is that he is a lamb on the throne with authority. Isn't that amazing? He's a lamb upon the throne. He's not a crucified lamb, he's the lamb upon the throne. And right at the end, where it speaks about the, about the, uh, Jesus Christ pouring out judgment. So, I think it was Derek Prince or somebody said once, have you ever seen an angry lamb? Because a lamb is meek, but a, a lamb can be angry. I think Clifford Hill saw a lamb attacking someone once. And so we have the lamb on the throne with authority. And the book of Revelation is a picture of the throne of God. The throne of God rules through the universe. It rules through through all the nations. And it might not be seen to rule, but the, the throne of God is the crucial thing. The throne of God. And we need to get our eyes upon the throne. And then in chapter 19, uh, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ is presented as a rider upon a white horse. Isn't that beautiful? And so he is, we're told who he is, he is the word of God, he is the invincible conqueror. And when we 
read through Revelation 19 and you see all the armies of the Antichrist all gathered to climax the age. Who comes out a rider on a white horse? Who is that? He's the Lord Jesus. Let's have a look at that because it make you feel better. If you like horses, you'll love the book of Revelation. Revelation 19. So we see all these other things going on, the end of Daniel's image, the mark of the beast and all the rest of it. But in verse 11 he says, I saw heaven opened. And if if we can by the Holy Spirit see heaven opened, it'll help us to get a different perspective on what's going on. And behold a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. Now if you go through the seven churches which we won't have time to do tonight, they all start off with something important about Jesus. That's where they start. They don't start with man. They tell you something about Jesus. And uh, some of these phrases you'll find in the seven churches. In righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flaming fire. We'll look at that in a minute from chapter 1. On his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. The word dipped is baptizo, which means to, it is baptized in blood. This is the Lord Jesus. And his name is called what? The Word of God. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. John 1.1. 1, 1. And out of his mouth goes a sharp sword. What's the sword that goes out of his mouth? It is the Word of God that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. When's he going to do that? Revelation chapter 20, through the millennial reign. And if we're faithful, we shall reign with him. And, and he has on his vesture, verse 16, uh, on his thigh, a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And if you read through the chapter, uh, you'll see here um, Armageddon symbolized by the figure of a great supper. And the beast, the false prophet, um, were taken and cast alive. That satanic trinity. Do you know Satan has a satanic trinity? We have Father, Son and Holy Spirit. The satanic trinity is Satan with the beast and the false prophet. Satan's incapable of original thought. He can only copy and mimic and deceive. Incapable of original thought. So we have an anti-father, an anti-god, an anti-son and an anti-spirit. Okay, does that make sense? And so, Revelation 20, then we see Satan cast into that uh, bottomless pit there. So we have the Word of God. One of the wonderful things is, um, you can look at everything going on in the world, but turn to the last page of the Bible, and the good news is we win. Because <laughs> he's already won. And then, the Lord Jesus, right at the end, he is the centre of the new creation or the city of God, which comes down from heaven onto earth. That's a, it's a beautiful picture. Okay, so we better move on because uh, there's a lot more to go. Okay, now um, let's just look at some of the work and person of Jesus here, because this is important. Uh, verse 5, from Jesus Christ, he is the faithful witness, the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, Unto him that loved us and loosed us from our sins in his own blood. So three things here about Jesus. Number one, he's a prophet. Number two, he's a priest. And number three, he's a king. Prophet, priest and king. 
Isn't that beautiful? All of those were separate offices in the Old Testament. But here they're all contained in one person. And he is a faithful witness. Um, in Colossians 1.18-20, to 20, he's the first begotten from the dead. And he carries the uh, blood into the heavenly tabernacle. That makes him a priest. He's a faithful witness. That makes him the prophet. And in Revelation 19.16, he's the prince of the kings of the earth. He is a king. So he's, he's a prophet as God's word. He's a priest as God's lamb and he's a king as God's lion. I love this because this is who Jesus is. Okay, what is his present work? What is Jesus' present work? And this is all in the book of Revelation. Okay, verse 5. First thing we find about him, unto him that loved us. Isn't that lovely? Unto him that loved us. People say nobody loves me. Jesus loves us. His love is amazing. The word of God says that Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. There is no greater love. He loved us. Secondly, he loosed us from our sins in his own blood. He loosed us from our sins in his own blood. And that's why, because he loved us. So we need to know that we're loose from our sins in his own blood. Then verse 6, he has made us. Now, Someone said once that um, if, if all God was going to do was save us, he might as well just take us straight through to heaven. Would you agree with that? But, but, but it's more than that. He loved us, and then it says he has made us kings and priests unto God. We are a royal priesthood. Okay? So what is a king supposed to do? A king is supposed to rule. And a priest is supposed to exercise priestly ministry. So with the help of the Holy Spirit, then we are made kings and priests unto God. Who is that? Everyone who's a believer is made a king and a priest unto God. And we, we are to reign in life. So that's a ministry for all of us. Kings and priests unto God and to his Father. And then in verse 7, notice this one. Behold, he comes with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him. You can understand why Satan doesn't want people to read the book of Revelation, because it contains all the important teachings about Jesus. So here we see the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. He cometh with clouds. Every eye shall see him. And they also which pierced him. If you go to Zechariah, who is, who is that? It's the Jewish people. They shall look upon what? Me whom they have pierced. And all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. So isn't that a beautiful picture? Uh, this is the return of Jesus in glory. The God who has wounds. With particular reference to Israel. Even so is the Greek, Amen is the Hebrew, and it affirms to Jew and Gentile God's unchanging word. Verse 8, I am Alpha and Omega. This 
tells us of the eternal nature and sonship of Jesus Christ. The Alpha and Omega is the first and last letter of the Greek alphabet. So he's the beginning of all things, he is the goal of all things, and he holds all things together by his word and by his power in between. As Hebrews 1 says, isn't that amazing? God's in control. God is in control. Verse 9. You still there? Still with me? Can I go on a bit? Verse 9. Okay, so. I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation. Okay, so what is verse 9? This is the great apostle John and he says, I'm your brother and your companion. Do you know how old he was when he wrote this? Who knows how old he was? He was 90 years of age. And here he is in tribulation, in the kingdom, in patience or endurance. I am your companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ. The word patience actually means endurance. So this is part of the parcel. Someone said once, what is the evidence of the baptism in the Holy Spirit? One simple word, trouble. If you don't want to trouble, then don't get filled with the Holy Spirit. So, he's on Patmos, which is a rocky island, six by ten miles in dimension in the Mediterranean. We visited it. I don't think it has its own water supply, does it, Mary? Are they told us? The reason for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Now there are different interpretations of this. Some people believe that this was a a, um, a, a, a a special day set by the emperor. Others believe the Lord's day is a day of resurrection, uh, a special day set apart for the believer. Whichever one it was, he was in the spirit. And I do believe if we're going to get the best out of meetings and what's going to happen in the assembly, we need to be in the spirit. So how do we get in the Spirit? We spend time with God, we, we read his word, we pray in the Spirit, we build ourselves up in our most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. And if the Lord's Day is a special day, the morrow after the Sabbath is a day of resurrection, a, a day, this is the day that the Lord has made. They met on the first day of the week in the early church. Okay. So what happened, he was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and he heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. Now if you go through the Old Testament, whenever a trumpet was blown, it was important. There was a trumpet blown for war, a trumpet blown for warning. That's a whole message on what trumpets are all about. In fact, one of the seven feasts of the Jews is what? The Feast of Trumpets. And I love studying trumpets. It's an amazing thing. And when Jesus comes back, the the voice of the archangel and what? The trumpet of God. 1 Corinthians 15, the last trumpet. So trumpets, if you like trumpets, you'll get on well with the Lord. Okay, so verse 11, um, here's the instruction. The voice, the great voice, as of a trumpet, spoke to him. And just as God prepared Moses to receive the law by the blowing of a trumpet, God prepared the Apostle John to receive this wonderful revelation uh, by uh, the blowing of a trumpet. 
And this is the Lord Jesus. And he said, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. So this is Jesus speaking, speaking to his church. And he says, what you see, write in a book. What you see, write in a book. And send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia. Then he names those seven churches. Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia and Laodicea. It's uh, very interesting actually because uh, some of those uh, church names actually have meanings. Do you know that? Laodicea is the people's church. So I, I take that as the church where everyone thinks they've got a big say. The democratic church if you like. God is not democratic, he's theocratic. And he speaks through delegated authority. Uh, so, um, Smyrna means myrrh or suffering. This was a, you can learn from what these churches are all about uh, by the names that are there. Okay, so um, he, the, there are these seven churches here. And they are seven golden uh, lampstands. I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and being turned I saw seven golden candlesticks, plural. Okay? Now in the tabernacle there was what? There was one candlestick, but these are seven separate candlesticks, which tells me that each local church is a separate church within its own entity. Very important. Uh, the, whilst the early church had apostolic and prophetic input, each local church was set up and it became complete when saints and elders and deacons were added to those saints and each local church was a candlestick within its own right. Because if you think about it, if you have a centralised church like the Church of Rome or the Church of England or whatever it might be, you only need to corrupt the central point and you've got the whole lot. And if ever you get on to studying 11, you'll know how easy that is. Okay, seven representative churches. Seven is the number of completion. The lampstand. And in the tabernacle, the lampstand in the tabernacle was to give light and to never go out. That's a wonderful thought, isn't it? Jesus said, a city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Uh, um, uh, you, you don't hide a, a candlestick, you, you set it on high so that the light can go out. And the source of light in the candlestick in the Old Testament was what? What did you pour in the menorah? Had to be the oil. If you read Zechariah 4, you've got a picture of the oil there. And so if the oil of the Holy Spirit is constantly poured into that candlestick, uh, that candlestick will give light. It's a beautiful picture, isn't it? We've got to have fresh revelation from the Lord by the Holy Spirit. Not different revelation, not something that isn't in the book, but it's got to be um, fresh revelation. It's got to be what is the Spirit saying at this given time. I don't know what the Holy Spirit's saying to you as a church here. Some churches he's saying, clear out the nonsense before I can bless you. Clear out the nonsense. Deal with things. We recently had a preacher came from America to our church and he brought prophetic ministry. It was something special and he confirmed everything that the Holy Spirit has been saying to us as a church. And then um, he said, he said, I, something else is coming up in my spirit. 
And I thought, here we go. And so he shared what he believed was coming up. And there was gossip going on. And he, he, he disclosed it to the church. And he said, those words that are spoken, sent back to where they came from. So the, the Holy Spirit sometimes has to deal with things in the midst uh, before we can move on with God. I often think of uh, Abraham and Lot and their, uh, the, you know, the, there was arguments, weren't there, and so on. But it was only after Abraham separated from Lot that then God showed him the land. And sometimes we go, there's got to be a separation before you can go on. Okay, am I right on time? Have I gone on too long? You tell me. So let's just quickly then, shall we just look at the portrait of Jesus, just to finish. Verse 13. I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. And being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks... Okay, so now we're going to get a picture of who it is who walks through the seven churches. I would say to you, if we can understand who it is that visits our church every Sunday and all the churches around, we'd have a very different attitude. We wouldn't do half the things that we did. We would come uh, prepared. Okay, so this is a vision of the glorified Son of Man. Now if you have a finger, pop back into Daniel 7. I just want to show you that because these pictures, Daniel chapter 7 and other places, you'll, you'll, you'll see the picture. I saw in the night visions and behold one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days. So this person here uh, is the same one who's in Daniel. Okay, so let's just see a little bit about uh, what he's clothed. Let's see what he looks like, uh, this son of man. First of all, he's clothed with a garment down to the foot. And he's also clothed uh, with a girt about the paps with a golden girdle. Okay, so the garment plus the girdle... Um, if you go to Isaiah 11.5, uh, it speaks about the girdle, and this is priestly attire. Jesus Christ is our great high priest. And he's a fantastic great high priest. He, he pleads for us in heaven. And the, this garment here is typical of the long robe of the high priest in the holy place in the temple or the tabernacle. And the girdle is a symbol of strength and authority. Notice it's a golden girdle and gold always speaks of divine righteousness. Whenever you see gold it speaks of, of divinity. Let me just say this to you just as an aside. I heard a well-known preacher's wife say this once in a big conference somewhere which I won't name and she said this, because the word paps or breasts in the Greek is in feminine gender in the original language, that shows that Jesus contains femininity. How ridiculous to build a doctrine out of language or out of metaphor or simile. And the, her conclusion was that Jesus was 49% feminine. Isn't that incredible? 
I find that astonishing, but never build a doctrine on metaphor or simile or, 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 or gender of language. Well-known preacher's wife. And I have to say that the outcome of that uh, and the outworking of that was all kinds of things which are not biblical concerning women would take place in their fellowships. Because if you build a wrong doctrine, then the outworking is wrong. Okay, so we'll just move on a little bit. Now let's look at uh, his person. Sevenfold glory of his person. Number one, his head and his hair was white like wool. Isn't that beautiful? White as snow. In Daniel chapter 7 and verse 9, we sing this, the ancient of days. The ancient of days. I beheld till the thrones were cast down, and the Ancient of Days did sit, whose garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head like the pure wool. Isn't that beautiful? So wherever this is, he's the same person who's in Daniel 7. What does it speak of? What does white hair speak about? Anyone here got white hair? Well, it speaks of antiquity. It speaks of patriarchal dignity. It speaks of wisdom and experience, and I believe it speaks of purity. So his head and hair, yeah. It speaks of antiquity. It speaks of patriarchal dignity. It speaks of wisdom and experience and purity. And the book of Proverbs says, A whore head is a crown of righteousness if it be found, is a crown of glory if it be found in the way of righteousness. Now I'm a bit lacking on that one. So I have to ask the Lord why he allowed my hair to go like that. And um, the scripture is, even the hairs of your head are numbered. And I think I know how many I've got. <laughs> okay. So that's the first one. This is the person who walks through the midst of the churches. Okay, the second one, I'll just go through these and then I think we, we bring it to a conclusion. Second one, his eyes were as a flame of fire. Isn't that fantastic? His eyes were as a flame of fire. He, an omniscient flame, perfect knowledge with insight, ability to read the heart. Fire also consumes. So whoever walks through the midst of the church, he sees everything that goes on. He sees the gossip, he sees the sin, he sees the things that people do. Dare I say it, he even sees the soulish prayers that people pray against others because they don't like what's going on. Sees the lot. Um, the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart, for everyone is naked and open before the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Doesn't, Jesus doesn't miss a trick, I'll tell you. And if we're in the spirit, we won't miss a trick either. Sometimes people think they got away with stuff, but the Holy Spirit shows what often what goes on in churches. So, his eyes. Fire consumes, as we know. And when he comes back, the word of God, he, he consumes the Antichrist with the breath of his mouth. That's how powerful he is. Number three. His feet. And if... If I can just leave you with this picture, because this is the one who's walking through our assembly every Sunday. His feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace. 
Brass typifies what? Judgment. Do you remember the brazen altar? Uh, Do you remember the brazen serpent? All of those, brass or bronze speaks of judgment. And the furnace consumes the dross. So um, his feet are like unto fine brass. His voice like the sound of many waters. Think of the Niagara Falls, many waters. And how amazing water is when you see a waterfall. Number five, in his right hand he had seven stars. Now, the right hand is what? Is the hand of power, is that correct? The right hand is the hand of power. So God has a hand and he has a hand of power. In in his hands are the hiding of his power, it says in the Minor Prophet there. So the seven stars which are called angels, but it's really messengers, I believe, or pastors of those seven churches. They're, they are earthly. Okay? Uh, and, in fact, we're, we're, t- we're told this, actually, because in the last verse, the seven stars are the angels or messengers of the seven churches. It's used of men, in my view. Okay? So, what does that tell us? It tells us that in his right hand, he holds those pastors or messengers. If he holds those pastors or messengers in his hands, and they are truly servants of God, then don't you think that the Lord will know how to deal with them if they get it wrong, and will know how to bless them if they get it right? And if you want to know the difference between true and false ministries, the epistle to Jude, which every Christian should read, speaks about false ministries and it calls them what? Wandering stars, to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Stars reflect eternal light. So these stars shine for Christ, but they are under his authority and in his hand. And if ever you have a problem with a pastor, just find out, is he God's man? And then the word of God tells you he's in God's hand. The Lord knows how to deal with anything that needs dealing with. He doesn't need our help. What he needs is our prayers. Amen? They are held in his right hand, but false teachers are wandering stars. Six, out of his mouth goes a sharp, two-edged sword which is a sword of blessing and also a sword of justice. It, number one, protects his people and number two, destroys his enemies. Isn't that amazing? That white horse rider out of his mouth went the sword and it destroyed Antichrist and all the armies around Armageddon. If that's true of that, how much more will the word of God preached in the power of the Spirit produce something for us? And then number seven, his countenance. His countenance. And his countenance was as the sun shining in its strength. Have you ever considered what the sun is like? You can't even look at it. Can't even look at it. And in your own leisure, have a look at Song of Solomon, chapter 5, verses 9 to 16, and you'll see a picture there of this same Lord Jesus in parabolic form, the lover, the bridegroom and the bride. The effect of this vision. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. Didn't roll on the floor laughing. He fell at his feet as dead. This is the effect of the vision upon John. 
And he laid his right hand upon me and said unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. This is the Lord Jesus. Amen. And I have the keys of death and hell. And keys signify power and authority. And he has power and authority in his church. And if we move in the spirit, he shares that power and authority with us. So he identifies that person to be Jesus uh, through death and resurrection. And the keys are the power and authority over death, over the souls of men and their destiny and the ability to lock and unlock. And We won't get to it tonight, but if ever you read the church at, uh, I think it's Philadelphia, uh, God can unlock doors and no one can shut them. And when he shuts them, no one can open them. And if he takes away the candlestick out of the midst, then there's no church there, whatever any man says. And then verse 19, we're nearly there, write the things. Aren't you glad that he wrote them? I'm so thrilled that he wrote them. Things that you have seen. And what he saw was a vision of the Son of Man in the midst of the churches. The things which are the state of the churches which existed. The things which shall be hereafter. The whole of the church age from beginning to end and the happenings at the end of that age. In other words... The Lord Jesus saw everything. He saw uh, Yately. He saw the fellowship here brought into birth and into being. He saw all the blessings that you have received and will receive. He saw all the people who would seek to spoil it and diminish it and take away the blessings. And he saw all the things which he has planned for you by his spirit. Hallelujah. If you get to the seven churches, you'll see that because he speaks prophetically and tells them the things that lie ahead. And then verse 20, the explanation of the seven stars. The seven stars are the seven golden candlesticks. The lampstands. So a lampstand does not create illumination, but it holds it. Now, just to finish, this is the finishing thoughts. Every time Jesus is mentioned through the book of Revelation, you will find that some portion of the first chapter is repeated. Isn't that amazing? So that's why you have to know the first chapter. I'll give you the verses. 14 verse 14. 2 verse 8, 3 verse 7, 20 verses 1 and 2, 3 verse 14 to 19 verse 11, and 1 verse 4, 3 verse 1, 5 verse 6, and 5 verse 10. Have a look at those and you'll see the thoughts are repeated. And then I just want to quickly just read out eight things that are in the book of Revelation, so that you know. Not new teaching, there's nothing new in here. Okay, so here's the eight things that are true, that you can never diminish and never take away. Number one, Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and he's now revealed in glory and majesty. Number two, he died and rose again from the dead. Number three, our salvation is accomplished through his blood. Chapter one, verse five. Number four, 
All true believers are priests and you do not need a human priest to give you access to God. You can have access through his blood just as you sit here tonight. Number five, Jesus Christ has power over death and hell, verse 18. Number six, he will come again a second time. And it's not so far off. Number seven, all peoples of the earth will wail because of him, anticipating judgment. And number eight, the Jewish people will acknowledge him as Messiah. Amen. And some of that's uh, the aspects of the Jewish scene which are amplified through the book of Revelation. So I think I'll stop there. I don't want to give you indigestion. But I trust that you'll see what a wonderful book this is. And you might feel led to... Study the seven churches. Get into those seven churches and they'll tell you what blesses God in a church, what grieves God, what things he looks for, what are the lessons. So we just close in prayer. Shall I do that? Blessed are they that read and hear the words of this book and do them. Father, we thank you. For the Lord Jesus Christ, the head of the church, the son of the living God, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. Thank you, Lord Jesus, you love your church and gave yourself for it. Thank you, Lord, you are so awesome in majesty. You're personal. Everything about you is amazing. Give us a new view, Lord, of yourself tonight, we pray. And as we flow uh, together in your church, Lord, in wherever you have placed us, help us to understand you walk through the midst. You walk through the midst of the candlesticks. You see everything we do, everything that happens. Lord, thank you that you gave this wonderful revelation to your servant, John. And we want to be blessed, Lord, as we read it and understand it and apply it into our lives. Bless this church here. Bless Gateway Fellowship. Lord, bless it, Lord, we pray. Walk through the midst, Lord Jesus, and reveal your heart and mind to everyone who comes here. Reveal to them the things that you want them to do. Deal with anything that is displeasing to you, O oh God, we pray. May the motives be pure, Lord. Will you look right into the midst, Lord? And will you search out, Lord, and, sh and show what needs to be done. Pray that your blessing upon our brother Tom, Lord, and the leaders here, and all those who serve in this place. We ask you that this church shall go from strength to strength, Lord Jesus. We believe you birthed it. You will sustain it. You will keep it. And you will protect it, O oh God. So we ask you to do that. I ask you to bless each one of us, Lord. And we pray that just something of tonight will drop into our hearts and spirits and be of help, challenge, comfort, uh, exhortation to us. In the mighty name of Jesus we pray. Amen.